I am Daniel Tomlinson. I've had the honor of serving at uh, Compass Care Pregnancy Services for uh, almost 13 years now. Um, so I was 12 when I started. <laughs> but I did have more hair. Um, I'm joined here by my wife, Anna. I am married to a woman, so I am on the right track. <laughs> this is good. We have four children. They're all somewhere in this building. And uh, I'm so grateful to be with you this morning. This is really an honor uh, to, to be here, to open God's Word uh, together. Before I do that, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about Compass Care before we jump into today's sermon. Um, so uh, I know many of you are familiar with the organization of Compass Care, uh, but Compass Care is a pro-life uh, service organization. Uh, the headquarters are here in Rochester, New York, but have medical offices in Buffalo, New York, Rochester, and also now in Albany. Uh, in the capital region, <clears throat> and we offer uh, ethical medical care and comprehensive community support to women who are seriously considering abortion. And we do this because there is an abortion problem. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the sermon, but uh, the abortion problem is vast. It's a, it's a mountain of a problem. And uh, here in New York, uh, we live in the abortion capital of the U.S. There are more abortions per capita here in New York State than any other state in America. And uh, we have the most permissive abortion laws in the world after China and North Korea. China, North Korea, New York State, when it comes to permissiveness of abortion laws. Uh, <clears throat> we, um, well, where, where Compass Care is located in Rochester, Monroe County, uh, Monroe County is an abortion hub, meaning that women are coming from all the surrounding counties to Rochester to get their abortions. There are more abortionists in Monroe County than some states have in their entire state. About 2,500 babies are aborted of just Monroe County residents. And then you add in all of the surrounding counties, it's over 3,200 babies are aborted every single year in the Rochester region, let's call it, the surrounding counties. That represents nearly one out of four pregnancies. 24% of all pregnancies end in abortion. All of the uh, clinical trials for RU46 were, were done at the U of R. Um, chemical abortions make up over 50% of all the abortions happening nationally. And, um, <clears throat> you know, there is, uh, there is a, a, a aggressive uh, legislation coming down the pike to shut down all pro-life service, all pro-life expression in the public square. So you're welcome to be pro-life. You're welcome to think uh, or believe in the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception, but you just need to do that privately is, is, where, is where we are here in New York State. And I believe that God has his people here in New York. He has um, Christians who believe in the equal value of all human beings from the moment of conception, from the womb to the tomb. And, and, and uh, uh, we as Christians are expressing our pro-life beliefs in the public square through organizations like Compass Care. So Compass Care's mission is to erase the need for abortion by transforming a woman's fear into confidence. We're a pro-life service organization. Reaching a woman during that critical uh, 24 to 48 hours where she finds out she's facing an unplanned pregnancy and she's making a decision about the final outcome of that pregnancy. She's usually doing that within 24 to 48 hours. So Compass Care is a pregnancy decision center. We're reaching that woman before she makes her final decision about that unplanned pregnancy and reaching her in such a way that by God's grace, she'll change her mind and decide to carry her baby to term instead of aborting that child. 95% of the women that walk through Compass Care's doors are women who are seriously considering abortion or at risk for abortion. Meaning they would, if they went to an abortionist, Planned Parenthood or others, they would be getting an abortion. 
And the majority of them, after receiving the services at Compass Care, changed their minds and uh, decided to carry to term and either make an adoption plan or parent. And uh, the secret sauce to that, if you will, is the fact that Compass Care is a Christ-centered agency. The, the gospel is not simply just a, 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 an add-on or a plug-in to the services that are provided, but an essential aspect from the moment that she contacts Compass Care through the 12 months of follow-up after she's had the baby. It, it, it influences and uh, is integrated into every single aspect of Compass Care service delivery to these women because it's the love for Christ that motivates our love for this woman and our love for this preborn child. Man and woman, uh, mother and child, that are made in the image of God. And uh, it is a transforming that happens, a transforming from fear into confidence because women get abortions not because they feel empowered, but because they feel coerced and trapped, uh, because they feel like they're stuck uh, because of circumstantial pressures, whether it's finances or career or school, whether it's relationships, whether it's a boyfriend or uh, my parents are going to kill me if they find out I'm pregnant. And, the, and they are making a decision out of fear. They're making a decision feeling like they're stuck, like they're trapped, like there's no way out. I need to get an abortion. That's what they say when they call Compass Care. I need to get an abortion. It's not about choice for her. She's being coerced, uh, sometimes manipulated, and or she's been lied to her entire life about her value as a human being. She has no understanding of the value of this life growing inside of her. So Compass Care exists to both dignify and respect her as an image bearer of God as well as bring dignity and respect and help her to see the value of her preborn baby. Um, last year, 435 women who were planning on getting abortions uh, came to Compass Care, changed their minds, and, and ended up having their babies. 435. We saw 234 women, when presented with the gospel, when invited into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, submit their lives to Christ and say, yes, I need that. Um, so far this year, we've seen 40 women just this year I just looked on uh, Friday, seen 40 women submit their lives to Christ when, in, when invited into a relationship with the Lord, um, because that is their primary need. Their primary problem is not this unplanned pregnancy. Their primary problem is, is that they have no comprehension of a loving father who cares for them, who loves them, not, not, because, of, not because of any of their actions, but actually because of who he is and how he's made them. And, um, and so that good news is good news for them. And this unplanned pregnancy is God's often, and we believe when they come to Compass Care, that's a divine appointment where God has used this unplanned pregnancy as the catalyst, as the, as the crossroads of grace in her life, where she can come and meet her creator. This isn't just a medical appointment. It's not just a counseling appointment. It's not just a community resource appointment. She's coming to actually meet with um, one of God's servants to hear about her creator. So that's Compass Care. And there's a big why behind why Compass Care exists, which, I, which I've touched on, but I want to spend uh, in our service time here. Oh, and I forgot. Um, we actually have, um, I want to share, so you can hear from a patient's perspective, um, how she has experienced Compass Care. Um, we, have, we have her video, Caleb, if you want to bring that up. Um, but this is from a patient's perspective, how she has experienced Compass Care and what that's been like for her. Uh, take a look at this video. When I found out I was pregnant, a lot of things went through my mind. I 
when I found out I was pregnant, a lot of things went through my mind. I was watching TV one day and Compass Care came across the TV and what popped in my mind, I was like, oh, in the commercials stating that no one is here to judge you and things like that. And I made the phone call and I got in like right away. I was actually shocked. It was fast. Um, it was welcoming when I walked through the door. When it was time to get an ultrasound, the nurse looked at me and she said, you look so nervous. And I said, I am. And I just bust out and cried. And then that's when she asked me what was wrong. And I told her, I said, I got all these thoughts in my head about this decision. And I don't think it's something that I really want to do. And then I told her how I didn't tell anybody. And she actually, like, put her arm around me. And she told me everything is going to be okay. And she said, trust me, a lot of women go through a lot of stuff. And, you know, keep your face and all of that. So I knew right then, like, this was, it was, God sent for me to see the commercial. Like, and she, she just said, give it time. We're not gonna pressure you into anything. This is your decision. I don't know, it, it was just a, a good experience coming out here. And even after I had my son, and during the pregnancy, after I, my appointments here at Compass Care was done, I still thought about the ladies. Like, I thought about everybody, and I always, till this day, I think about everybody that's here and, like, the impact that they made on my life. And I decided to continue my pregnancy because I was sitting down one day, and I said, this is not fair. This is not fair to this unborn child. And it was the best decision. When I came home with my son, it was, it was so like, it was beautiful. Every time I look at my son, I smile. I am pro-life. Uh, not because of powerful stories like this, although it, 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 uh, it fuels, it definitely fuels uh, my pro-life passion. I'm not pro-life because of any kind of uh, existential experience or philosophical construct. Uh, I'm not pro-life because of the way that I tend to vote. Um, I'm not uh, pro-life because of um, the biology, the fact of, um, uh, you know, that, that life begins at conception. It's a biological fact. Um, that's, not why, that's not why I'm pro-life. Um, science simply tells us what is. It doesn't tell us why that life is important. Um, philosophical constructs. Um, <clears throat> people do go to jail or are willing to die for philosophical constructs, but not, not nearly as strong as deep theological beliefs about what we believe about who God is and how he has made mankind. 
And that's what I want to spend our morning uh, together, looking at Psalm 8. So take, take your Bibles out. Let's turn to Psalm 8. Um, title of this sermon is, What is Man? What is man? And then uh, before we jump in, let me just pray and ask for God's uh, blessing over our time this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for Mary's life. We're so grateful for her son's life. We're so grateful that you used your people to hold her back from a decision that she would regret for the rest of her life. We're so grateful that we get to be a part of building your kingdom. We're so grateful that we get to be used by you to uh, uh, shine the bright light of truth into dark areas. And there are few places darker than abortion. There's few places more dehumanizing than taking the life of innocent human beings in the womb. I want to thank you for this church. I thank you for your word and that we get to spend time together studying your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would burn these truths that we're about to look at deep into our souls. We pray all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 8, the why behind, the why, why are we pro-life? Why do we care about something like abortion? Why do we care about the normalization of homosexuality? Why do we care about um, the, 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 the sweeping uh, transgender movement that is kind of uh, being normalized across our education systems? Why do we care about um, societal decline? Or, um, you know, you could, we could name Issue after issue after issue, problem after problem after problem. And if it's simply a matter of opinion, then whoever's voice is the loudest wins the day. If there is no transcendental truth that we're pointing to, grounded in the person of Jesus Christ, then it's just a matter of opinions. And it's, as Nietzsche said, just will to power. All truth claims are just will to power. We're, just, we're simply just trying to have our preferences perpetuated for everybody else. But that's not what we're going to be looking at this morning. Not just personal preference, not just opinions. This is dogma. (laughs) This is either true or it's not true. Um, And we're looking at Psalm chapter 8, starting in verse 1, which reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And we'll just pause right there for a second. What is man? This isn't the only time in the Psalms or in the wisdom literature that this question is asked. Um, In uh, Psalm 144, uh, we read in verse 3 and 4, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing of shadow. And then in uh, Job chapter 7, uh, verse 17, questions asked again by Job, you know, what is man that you make so much of him, and that you set your heart on him? And this is a primary question. Uh, that needs to be answered. All ethics and morality, everybody's ethics and morality, are flowing from how they answer this question, what is man? Um, what does it mean to be human? Who are you? Uh, this, is, this is key to a worldview. 
And, and a worldview, this is, this is the primary building block for any kind of worldview. And, and worldviews come in all shapes and sizes. They come, um, and, but they also come, they're supposed to come, anyway, in packages, like puzzles or Lego kits. Um, and they all either fit together into a coherent whole, or you're left with gaps or missing components. And my main thesis, if you will, of this morning, my main point is that there is no religion, There is no worldview, there's no system of belief that can account for man's worth, value, dignity, or purpose apart from God. There's none. And not only that, but the Christian worldview is the only one out of all world religions, out of of all um, systems of belief, that actually has the highest view of mankind. We have the highest view of mankind. I want to just review two uh, two common ways that, that the, and there are more than this, but two common ways that the, the, the answer to the question, what is man? Um, <clears throat> the way that the world answers, what is man? Um, we are God, lowercase g. That's one way that the world answers the question, what is man? Uh, we are nothing, or we are gods, capital G, apostrophe S. We belong to God. So let's just look at what is man. Uh, we are God. This is a over-inflated view of man, and this is more of a, this isn't super common, but it's definitely out there um, in, in, um, in, the, in more of a, like a new age mysticism or pantheistic worldview that sees all plants and planets and people as part of this coherent whole, this oneness, and that is considered a God. Uh, there's a celebrated new age mystic named Rhonda Byrne who wrote a book where she says, There is a God, and he is you. You are God in physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. You are perfection. So this answer uh, to uh, what is man is that we are God. And, And we have seen this with Caesars. We've seen this with pharaohs, consider themselves gods, kings and queens, cult leaders, Couch potatoes, um, maybe many of our professional athletes have believed this about themselves. I am God. I, um, I create value for myself. Power resides in me. I am the master of my fate. I, I, am, I am the captain of my soul. I, I, I give me worth. I am in control of my destiny. Uh, this, is, this is human hubris that, that knows no bounds. Um, but this is not outside the realm of our um, of our kind of uh, interactions with our fellow uh, human beings. Is that we answer the question, "What is man?" With we're God, we are God. We are we are part of either either through a pantheistic worldview, we are part of this this oneness of this this godness all around us. Uh, but the more common view, and one that is inculcated into every aspect of our culture, is this: we are nothing. We answer the question, and it's a deflated view of man. Um, it's not typically said like that. <laughs> it's not typically said, uh, you know, we're, we're nothing. We, we have no value. They're, they're, the, 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 the claims are that human beings still have value or still are worth, uh, worthy of dignity. Um, but this is the natural, logical conclusion to a naturalistic framework. 
There's a lot of different ways that uh, you can talk about this, either through naturalism. There is no supernatural. It's just, the, just what we see. Um, it's also called materialism. Uh, only, the, only matter exists. Or secular humanism. Man is the measure of all things, as Francis Schaeffer called it. Um, and, the, and this is the presupposition of our education system. It's the presupposition of our medical system. It's the presupposition of our government you hear this all the time. Check your religion at the door. Don't bring it in as if there's some kind of secular neutrality that we can all, secular uh, uh, playing ground that we can all play on and, 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 and forget about the transcendental. Um, it's, it is the presupposition of media and big tech is that there's nothing more, for the most part, there's nothing more than the natural. There's nothing more than the material. Um, this is a religious belief, and it is governing science, education, medicine, uh, media, government. Uh, they answer the question with, of what is man with nothing more than complicated carbon bags. And um, <clears throat> Bill Nye, the science guy, always a good person to quote, you know, always a sound resource. This is what he has to say. We are just a speck on a speck, orbiting a speck in the corner of a speck in the middle of nowhere. Okay, that's Bill Nye. He is not a scientist, he's an engineer, but we'll leave that at the door. Uh, Carl Sagan, definitely a scientist, right? Uh, renowned atheist and scientist. He, he said this, we emerged from microbes and muck. We find ourselves in bottomless freefall, lost in great darkness, and there's no one to send out a search party. Or what about Jacob Bronowski, who wrote The Identity of Man? Man is a part of nature in the same sense that a stone is or a cactus, or a camel. And they are correct. And by that I mean, in a world without God, they are correct. We are nothing. We, we, we are a cosmic accident. It's simply time plus chance. Here we are. Uh, we're just meaningless entities wandering around without purpose or point. We're cogs in this great cosmic computer, or, or simply just complex Chemical reactions bumping into each other without rhyme or reason. And, and, and forget for, the, for, for a moment that this world presumes that matter, energy, and motion all existed eternally. Uh, no one has ever explained how impersonal matter and impersonal energy and impersonal time can somehow create personal beings like you and I. This worldview cannot answer the most fundamental question of why things exist in the first place or how did life begin. And the material world, as just the material world, gives us no basis for morality. It's all will to power. It's all, it's all simply survival of the fittest. It can only describe, it can't define. It can only give us, give, give us indicatives. It can't give us imperatives. Only what, never why. So if you and I climbed out of the primordial slime billions and millions of years ago, where did our worth come from? Richard Dawkins, probably one of the most famous atheists out there living today, says that the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows or cares. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. If there is no personal God, if there's nothing but the material, if there's nothing but, but what we see and can feel, <clears throat> nothing beyond what we can uh, see with our eyes and touch with our hands, 
Life is both meaningless and terrifying. There's no morality, there's no hope, there's no love. And we are the ultimate unplanned pregnancy. Unwanted, unforeseen, unnecessary. We're left to build our own worth and meaning as best we might on the unyielding foundation of universal despair, as atheist Bertrand Russell has put it. I'm reminded of Psalm 14.1 that says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Because somehow we continue to make all these different truth claims of right and wrong, of evil and of good. And as G.K. Chesterton uh, quipped, he said, you know, uh, um, art like morality consists of drawing the line somewhere. And as Christians, as believers in a God, the God, we look at scripture and we see the psalmist answering his own question here in verse 5 of Psalm 8. I'll back up to verse 4 again. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, This is the other option. This is either true or it isn't true. As C.S. Lewis wrote, the Christian and the materialist hold different beliefs about the universe, and they can't both be right. The one who is wrong will act in a way which simply doesn't fit the real world. And you'll see here in the psalmist's words echoing the very beginning of this book, Genesis chapter 1. When he's talking about you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, other translations say you have made him a little lower than God. And crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. Right after God consults with himself and says, Let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created him. This is the basis for all Christian uh, morality. is the fact that there is a God and he has made mankind in his image. We are not just a more evolved form of creation. We are different. We are special. Uh, We are the crown of creation. The apex of the creator order. Uh, You and I, as men and women made in God's image, are the very capstone of God's creational design. And there's four just quick ways that I want to talk about how mankind, and and you could write, uh, and there have been, books and books and books on this itself, the Imago Dei, and what what does it look, what what is it about human beings that reflects God's image? There's four just quick ones, I'll I'll just, and I, I, I like alliteration, or I love alliteration. Um, and, uh, so four C's, one we're, we're creators from high art to plumbing. If you ever seen a really good plumbing job, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, from, from, from communications that we can bless and we can curse. We can speak words. We can communicate with each other. Um, we're able to choose, able to weigh options and make moral decisions. We have a conscience, right? This is, this is something that, it, that differentiates us from the beasts, from the animals, um, and we, all, we are also conscious. We're able to self-reflect. We are self-aware. We can cultivate an inner life of the mind, uh, an imagination even. Um, Francis Schaeffer wrote in his book, Whatever Happened to the Human Race, if man is not made in the image of God, nothing then stands in the way of inhumanity. And he wrote this almost 50 years ago. 
There is no good reason why mankind should be perceived as special. Human life is cheapened. We can see this in many of the major issues being debated in our society today. Abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, the increase of child abuse and violence of all kinds, and pornography. And he continues to go on and list them. The, the image of God can either uh, be ignored or protected, but it cannot be taken away. It is imprinted on every single human being. It's in us. It's not on us. Um, as if it could be removed. It's in us. It's core to our being. It's inherent to who we are. It cannot be removed, but it can be tarnished. <laughs> it can be obscured. It can be damaged. It can be ignored. Uh, but it cannot be taken from us. It's inalienable. We hear that word, right? Right in our founding documents of this nation. We are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights. Meaning that we don't get it from other men. We don't get it from other institutions. We get it from God himself. Um, <clears throat> our rights do not come from government. Our rights do not come from government. You cannot fabricate rights, or specifically when it comes to abortion. What's been fabricated is a right to an abortion. Can't be a fundamental human right. That's what New York State says with the Reproductive Health Act in 2019, so that, that, that women have a fundamental human right to abortion. Can't be a fundamental human right. First of all, it didn't come from God. It's coming from government, which means it's a privilege, not a right. Second of all, half of the human population can't exercise this right. How can it be a fundamental human right? <clears throat> he imprinted us. We are inviolable, meaning that we are sacred, not to be violated. Um, <clears throat> again, Schaefer, on this topic of rights. If there is no God above government, government becomes God. It's one of my favorite quotes from Schaefer. It's such an encapsulation of where we are right now. If there is no God above government, government becomes God because they're next. They're the next most powerful entity. And they get to choose who lives and who dies. And that is what's happening with abortion. It's happening at the beginning of life and it's happening at the end of life. As euthanasia and a physician-assisted suicide continues to be normalized and pushed in our culture. Because once you dehumanize one segment of the population, which is what has happened with the preborn child with no protection under the law, you can dehumanize everybody else. Actually, you have dehumanized everybody else. Either it's all or nothing. Either all of us are made in the image of God and are therefore fully and equally human from the moment of conception to natural death, from the womb to the tomb, or we're all at risk. And it's simply a matter of who gets to choose who lives and who dies. It's all or nothing. And worth cannot come from any other source. No other worldview has such a high view of man. Without this truth of mankind being made in the image of God, we are just a wart on the face of an impersonal universe. Francis Schaeffer again. C.S. Lewis writes, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life, their life to ours is as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And when it comes to the image of God, it's why we are pro-life. And we understand that the more vulnerable a population is, the more marginalized a population is, the more that we, as those who understand the unique value of human beings, need to stand up and protect those individuals. The weaker and more vulnerable a group or a person is, the more necessary it is to protect them. You see a 40-year-old man walking down the highway all by himself. You might stop and help him if you got the time. You see a 4-year-old walking down the highway 
you're like, okay, something's going on here. You are going to stop. <laughs> Why? Because we understand that the 40-year-old man is, you know, he's able to take care of himself. You see a 4-year-old, you're like, okay, that's a weaker and more vulnerable party that we need to protect. And when it comes to the preborn child, the greatest injustice in the history of the world is being perpetrated against that population. The weakest and most vulnerable of society are being killed. 40 to 50 million babies are aborted every single year around the globe. 40 to 50 million. Here in the U.S., around 900,000 babies are aborted every single year in America. 65 million since Roe versus Wade. If you're anything like me, those numbers can just kind of whoosh by you. I mean, they're just huge. You go, Lord, like how can I even wrap my mind around 65 million human beings never seeing the light of day? If we were to give one moment of silence for every single victim of abortion, just one minute of silence, we would be quiet for 124 years straight. And the nefarious aspect of the Roe versus Wade decision that by God's grace was reversed last June is that it said right in the majority opinion, and this is exactly what we've just been talking about, in the majority opinion, Henry Blackman said the word person does not apply to the unborn. The word person does not apply to the unborn, completely stripping personhood, completely stripping protection under the law from an entire category of human being. And we understand that abortion is a symptom. It's not the main problem. It's a mountain of a problem, but it is a symptom of a broken world. It is a symptom. It's a heinous side effect of our culture, forgetting what it means to be human under God. It's a symptom of forgetting God himself. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one of my favorite uh, writers, Russian writers, but writers, um, he wrote a, an essay called Men Have Forgotten God, where he's seeking, he's being asked to sum up what he, has, what he saw in Russia with the rise of communism in his nation and, the, and the, the willful murder of millions of his people, as well as the forced starvation and famines, of, of, and, and saw millions of his people die. And he's seeking to just try to wrap his mind around it and encapsulate how did we get here. And he came up with this phrase. You know, a phrase that he heard when he was just a boy, men have forgotten God. And he said, in all my decades, I haven't come up with a better way of summarizing what, what I've seen in my country, the devastation that's happened in my country. Men have forgotten God. That is, that is the, the sum total of what we're seeing um, in, our, in our nation. And that, that we, as Christians, are on the front line of the abortion battle, just like we are on the front line of the abolitionist movement, Because of what we believe about who God is, what he's done for us, and how he's made us. C.S. Lewis again says, The greatest evil is not now done in those sordid dens of crime, or even in concentration camps and labor camps. It is conceived and ordered in clean, carpeted, warmed, and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth, shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voices. This is what we see with abortion. It has this facade of civilized order because it's done in a sterile environment. It's done in a medical environment. When you actually look at the abortion procedure and you say, this is barbarity. This is is barbarous. Um, This is not a civilized answer to an unplanned pregnancy. And this is not a problem that education can fix. It's not a problem that our law system can fix. It's not a problem that philosophy or sociology or economics or politics can fix. 
It is not a problem that they can fix. This is only a problem that the church of Jesus Christ can fix because only the church of Jesus Christ has been given the message that can get and root out the very heart of this problem, this abortion problem, this forgetting of God, this this dehumanization of each other. What's changed yours and my heart? This is only a problem the church of Jesus Christ can fix because in our beliefs about the humanity of the preborn child, our beliefs about the image-bearing nature of every single human being is what should drive, must drive our pro-life passion because it's not going to get easier to be pro-life in the state of New York. It's not going to get easier. Our belief in the inviability of every single human being, the fact that we are all equally valuable and worthy of protection and, and by the way, this is our filter for euthanasia. This is our filter for homosexuality and, and, and wrapping our minds around how to, to handle and speak about that. This is our filter for transgenderism and, and no-fault divorce and cohabitation and all the other societal horrors that are undermining the family, that are undermining the value of human beings. They all stem from our cultural deflation of the value of human beings. A casual dismissal of man's image-bearing of God. And our beliefs are going to come out our fingertips. And they get expressed through organizations like Compass Care and other pro-life organizations. What we believe about who we are determines how we treat one another. And when it comes to the preborn child, again, the gospel is at the heart of this in that you and I understand the plight of the, ought to understand the plight of the preborn child because you and I were dead in the water before a holy and righteous God. No voice, no influence, no power, no standing before a holy and righteous God, completely vulnerable, completely naked before the eyes of God. <clears throat> and unless somebody else picked up our cause, unless somebody else used their power, their influence on our behalf, we're done. We're toast. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. The weak and the vulnerable. You and I. <laughs> the, the, the incapable of doing anything on our own. Completely vulnerable. That's what Christ has done for us. He leveraged everything on our behalf. He gave it all. He leveraged his voice, his power, his influence, his standing before a holy and righteous God, God the Father, and he poured it out on our behalf. He was our good Samaritan as we were beaten and bloody on the side of the road. And he cleaned us up. And now he says, go and do likewise. Leverage your power, your influence, your standing, your influence on behalf of those the weakest and most vulnerable of society. And there is no more orphaned human being in our nation than that preborn child. There is no more widowed woman than a woman who has been completely abandoned by society and said, go take care of that problem and come back to us when you are no longer pregnant. Pure and undefiled religion. Take care of the widows and orphans of society. And that is the preborn boy and girl. So again, what is man? Man is little lower than the heavenly beings. Man is made as a little lower than God himself. And we must act like it in every aspect of our lives and filter how we treat our neighbors and how we treat each other through this understanding of um, our equal value before God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that... uh, You came to earth. You proved man's worth, Lord, through the incarnation, through your death on the cross, the fact that you died on our behalf. You didn't die for any other 
part of, of, of the created order. You died for mankind, for men and women made in your image. Thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you that you've given us the power through your Holy Spirit to leverage what you've given us on behalf of others. Thank you for each and every single man, woman, and child present this morning. Lord, I pray that, they, that this belief in their value would drive their love and concern for their fellow man. Pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.